Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message that I gave on Sunday morning, January 23rd, 2022, from Luke 11. Um, most of you guys know that it's, there are, there's a team of us that once a month goes over to the Morton County uh, Prison, and we ride on the coattails of Tom's amazing weekly, sometimes bi-weekly ministry that he's had going on there for 10 years. But we go in there and they love to see us and we get to lead a worship and a chapel service. And one of my 75 favorite things about doing that is right when we kick off, everybody's kind of seated and milling about and talking. And then I'll just get on the mic when Tom, t- he gives me a little wink and says it's time to go. And I'll say, all right, guys, is anybody ready, pray, ready to praise Jesus tonight? And immediately it's like a bomb goes off. Everybody's just like, they start clapping. They start Start saying yes. They start saying amen. Guys hit their feet and that kind of stuff. So look, I'm not expecting us to be on their level, but I have a question, which is, does anybody want to hear some stuff about Jesus this morning? Okay. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I, I just am fired up and I have a lot of stuff to say about Jesus today. Okay. So if that's okay with you guys, that's what we're going to do this morning. You know, when all through Advent, and talking about the Christmas story, you, you look at all of these things that happen specifically in the Gospel of Luke in chapters 1 and 2, all these angel visitations, all of these people bursting into song, the, the baby is born, the shepherds visit, all of this amazing stuff happens. And after Christmas calmed down and, and we stopped talking about that stuff, I personally just kept reading through the Gospel of Luke. It had been a minute, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to keep going. Just at the end of chapter 2, just kind of keep marching through chapters 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7, and on and on and on. And something has just gotten a hold of me in reading through the Gospel of Luke. And that is, and it's something that I don't know if I've ever really noticed or paid attention to before, which is Jesus is bold in the Gospel of Luke. I mean, dude is fired up. He is certain, he is convinced, he is commanding. Now, this is really cool. I mean, he, there's a place in chapter 4 where the people say, he teaches, not like we're used to kind of hearing teaching, like he teaches like somebody that has authority. And that is super true. And if it's been a while since you've just like sat down and read through the Gospel of Luke, I'm telling you, one thing you cannot ignore, which I hadn't seen it very much before, but now I'll never unsee it, is just how bold Jesus is. Every time those red letters are on, you are about to see something big and strong and bold. And it's really interesting because when you read the Gospel of John, it's different. It's not that Jesus is not Jesus, but John presents him in a completely different way. John was what some people call a mystic. He was a poet. He was musical in the way that he wrote. I mean, the whole, his whole book starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And you're like... Beautiful. I mean, that's amazing. I don't know exactly what it means. I'm going to have to go back in there a couple more times. I mean, you kind of got to be a poet to get a lot out of it. And, and even when Jesus talks in the Gospel of John, he says things like, I am the door. And you're like, okay. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. These are amazing and beautiful truths, but it's also really poetic and stuff. And if you like that kind of thing, don't go to the Gospel of Luke. It's not in there. I mean, Jesus is bold. He's clear. He's convinced. He's commanding. 
There was, a, there was a thing, you know, when I was growing up, I was just, I don't know if it was the movies about Jesus. I don't know if it was the way he was presented to me at VBS or Sunday school or something, but I always thought of Jesus as like timid and shy and bashful. He kind of hangs back in the movies. He just kind of like floats. He doesn't even like walk. He just kind of floats through the scenes and doesn't say a whole lot sometimes. And I got to tell you, reading through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is about as, he's about as bashful as a bazooka. I mean, he is like, I mean, he's as shy as a sledgehammer. From the moment the red letters happen, he is bold. I mean, he's surgical. He cuts. He is convinced and he's right. And he's not afraid to say that he's right. The first time that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Luke, he's only 12 years old. And he jumps up in his parents' face. He's just like, hey, you should have known this is where I was going to be about my father's business. And you're like, you know, 12-year-old talk to me like that. Turn the page. The very next time he talks, he's bold, not with his parents this time, but with Satan. And he's like, it is written. It is written. Hey, it is written. Get out of here. Like the next time, turn the page. He's bold with his townspeople, the people that watched him grow up. And that's not an easy thing to do. He steps up in their synagogue. They hand him the scroll of the prophecy of Isaiah. He unrolls it to what we call chapter 61. And he starts reading about how the Lord has anointed him to preach good news to the poor and freedom for the oppressed and the captive and all this kind of stuff. And and he says all this stuff and people are just like amazed. And he rolls it back up, hands it to the guy and says, today in your hearing, that has come to pass. And they're like, wow. And then he starts talking about how much God cares about and how much he wants to do through and with the foreigner and the outsider, the alien, the, the, you know, the, the immigrant. And they get so upset that they literally form a murderous mob, a riot to push him out of the synagogue, drive him up to the cliff on the edge of the town, and they're going to throw him off and kill him. It's right there in chapter 4. They get him up to the crest of the hill, and Jesus, bold as brass, just turns around, looks them all in the face, and then just walks through the crowd. And you're like, dang, dude. He's bold. He's bold. He's bold with demons. Turn the page. He just tells a demon, get out of him. Don't go back into him. You're like, dang. He starts doing this thing when you turn the page where he tells somebody what to do. I mean, just authority. Tells somebody what to do, and then he'll tell them something about themselves. It's really cool. Which like, who has the guts to do something? Like, just speak a truth over, this is who you are. Or he'll flip that script. He'll tell something, he'll tell somebody something about them and then tell them what to do. So the guys, some of the guys that become his disciples, he goes up to them and he's like, how was the fishing? You catch anything? No, I didn't think so. Throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Just do what I say. And they're like, okay. They do it. Instantaneously catch so many fish, the nets start breaking. And then he tells them something about them. From now on, you guys are going to be fishing for people. That's who you are now. Turn the page. There's a guy, Luke says, that comes up to Jesus, not just a person with leprosy. Luke says he was covered with leprosy. And he says to Jesus, I think you could fix me. I think you could cleanse me, could heal me. I don't know if you would want to. I don't, I don't assume anybody would want to. I mean, I, I think you could cure me. I don't know if you care to. I think I'm kind of uncareaboutable. But Jesus does this thing. Let me tell you something about you, and then I'm going to tell you to do something. He says, I'm willing. I want to. I care. You, sir, are officially careaboutable because I care about you. Now, be clean. Bam! The leprosy's gone. Just like that. Jesus is teaching in this house. 
It's so full of people that these four friends can't get their dude in to see Jesus who's paralyzed. So they tear a hole in the roof. And you guys know the story. They wrap him up in a sleeping bag like, you know, a burrito bro and drop him down in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at this guy and tells him something that's true about him, something that I imagine he had been longing to hear. And some, so many of us have been longing to hear this same thing. He says, hey, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. In fact, Luke says that he said, friend, you're forgiven. You and I are good. In fact, we're friends. And then he says, tells him what to do. Now pick up that mat and go. Bam! The guy's healed. Picks up his sleeping bag and rolls. Everybody's clapping. And this is who Jesus is. He just like tells people, this is who you are. This is what you do. He starts going on. Turn the page. He starts going on this, this series of just telling people things that are true that they don't believe. But he's like, you're wrong about it. I'm right about it. So deal with that. Like, they say this thing. They're like, hey, Jesus, we don't like who you hang out with. And he's like, well, hey, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, duh, it's the sick. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Bam, mic drop. Like he just, duh, turn the page. They, they, these guys that don't like Jesus, they say this thing, they're like, well, you know, um, I mean, we're so devoted to God that we just skip meals a lot and we let everybody know. And because we're so devoted to God, we're hard on ourselves and that's how we show everybody how devoted to God we are. Because we all know that a relationship with God, the closer you are with God, the harder you are on yourself. That's the way God likes it. And Jesus looks at him and he says, no, mm -mm, no. Because they said, how come your boys, your boys never skip a meal. Your boys never fast. They're not hard on themselves. You guys are having a big old time. And Jesus said, that's because you're wrong about this whole relationship. It's not how hard can you be on yourself. This relationship is a party. In fact, it's a wedding party. In fact, it's the wedding reception. In fact, I'm the bridegroom, so deal with that. And while I'm here, we're partying. So everybody, grab some food, grab a drink. DJ, kick it, let's party. I'm right about it. He just does this, turn the page. These guys are upset with Jesus' boys because he said, well, we saw y'all uh, last Saturday on the Sabbath walking through that grain field. His, you know, Jesus' guys were hungry, so, you know, there weren't, like, any, like, wheat thins or anything like that. So they just, like, grab through the, through the wheat field. They, like, grab the, the heads off the grain, and they crack the little shells, and they're popping the, you know, the kernels of grain into their mouth, like, you know, like sunflower seeds, like, like the great Yadier Molina for your St. Louis Cardinals. You know, like, he's always got the sunflower seeds. And so they're talking to Jesus, and they're like, dude, we don't like that your boys do that because that's basically, you know, threshing grain on the Sabbath. They're harvesting. And Jesus is like, oh gosh. Look, here's the deal. No. Okay. By the way, do you remember that Old Testament story about David and his pals? And before there was a temple and it was just the tabernacle and Abiathar was the high priest and they rolled up in there and just ate the ceremonial like consecrated bread, which is only for the priests to eat. And the Pharisees are like, uh oh, we just lost a Bible study. Like, moment here, and Jesus is like, yeah, you know why they did it? Because they were hungry. Because God is not that hard on you, man. He says the Sabbath was created for people, not people for some, for some hard on you rule. He said, in fact, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. I just set the rules. How about that? What do you like about that? And he just starts teaching and telling these people, just turn the page. He just starts saying things that people do not believe to this day. And he just says it and he's right about it. He says, don't judge anybody ever. How about that? And we're like, yeah, but we like judging people. He's like, no, <laughs> don't do it. 
Love your enemies. Well, but I want to just love my friends. No, love your enemies too. How about that? How about the way people see uh, richness and success? Oh, the, listen, the Gospel of Luke is not um, what you want to read with certain economic theories under your belt. Because I'm telling you, like everybody, the, the way the world works is everybody, and this is our society big time. When somebody has a lot of money, everybody looks at them and says, well, you did it. Way to go. You're amazing. In fact, can I interview you? Can we put you on a list? Can we put your face on the cover of a magazine? Because that's success. And that's somebody who really did it right. You know what Jesus said? Woe to you who are rich. It gets quiet in here when you say something like that. I didn't make it up, y'all. Don't look at me that way. He said, woe to you who are rich. It's a warning sign. Flip the page. He says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Who believes that? Nobody believes that. But Jesus, Jesus just says it, and he's just right about it. You walk through the Gospel of Luke. He is bold. He is clear. He is convinced. He is commanding. He's surgical. He's extreme. And he's not apologetic. He does not waver or waffle. He is not confused. He is just laying it down the whole time. And then you turn the page and you see his heart. Like that guy, that, that foreigner, outsider guy who said something about the authority of Jesus that nobody had ever seen or said before. And it says that Jesus was amazed. You just see his heart. That same chapter, just keep reading down the column. There's a funeral procession coming out of this city gate. And Jesus and all his party gang are coming down the street. And they're about to meet each other. It's about to be a collision of the sad and the joyful. And all of a sudden, when Jesus sees this widow who had lost her only son, it says his heart went out to her. You just see his heart. He's amazed. He's full of compassion. Read on down the column. He's at this dinner party when a prostitute gate crashes the thing and she just starts crying all over Jesus' feet. She pours oil on his feet and she's kissing his feet and she's wiping his feet with her hair and she's just weeping. And, and Jesus just in front of everybody declares her love is the best love. Deal with that. I mean, you walk through the Gospel of Luke and he just, he miracles and he heals and he feels and he teaches and he corrects. I mean, he is just brimming with authority. So when he says something, we need to pay attention, right? We need to see what is he talking about. There's this place, when you roll over into, the, into chapter 11, he kicks this demon out of a guy that could not speak. And he says, get out of him, you mute spirit. And then all of Jesus' enemies, who didn't like what he was doing, they were jealous of his popularity and his power, they said, well, I think I figured out the trick, like with a magician or something. I saw the sleight of hand. I think that Jesus, well, this is what I heard anyway. I mean, you do what you want to with it. But I heard that Jesus actually works for the prince of demons. And that's how he's doing this. They're stacking the deck. It's like one of those magicians that has a plant in the audience, you know? It's like, I volunteer to help come up, you know, come up and help with the trick. That's what Jesus is doing. He works for, for Satan. And Jesus goes, no, mm -mm, no, that's not what's happening. Y'all think about that for five seconds, okay? If Satan works against Satan, his kingdom will fall. That's not what this is. I'm not, I'm not on his payroll. He said, here's what Satan is like. He's like a strong man 
who has taken a bunch of stuff that's not his. And he's keeping it in his house and he's got guards at the gate and he's got cameras on a closed loop and he's got you know a series of redundant security and everything. And he said, and it's safe. He's got all of his stuff. Nobody's going to take it unless a stronger man comes. And he takes whatever he wants. And he said, I'm the stronger man. I don't work for him. I'm here to plunder the devil's house. And all God's people said, amen. That's good news. It's so awesome. I mean, he's awesome. You just watch him walk through this. And all of a sudden, when he's giving that little speech in chapter 11, this lady screams out from the crowd, totally random, totally out of left field. And she goes, blessed is the mother who gave birth to you and nursed you. And there's like a record scratch. And everybody's like, Err. and Jesus is like, nope. Penalty flag, 15 yards, lost it down on the play. We got to deal with that. And you're like, what's the big deal? Is it because he said something nice about your mom or something? Like, is there? And it's not because about, it wasn't anything about Mary or anything like that. But in that thing that that lady said, there is the kernel of an attitude that if believed, if uninspected, if uninvestigated, could cause you to have a really wacky idea of what it means to know God and have a relationship with him. There is the germ of an idea inside the thing that that lady said that we have to deal with and we have to get it out into the light and understand it. Because if we don't, it's really, really going to mess with your relationship with God. And here's the kernel of that idea. Jesus, your mom Mary did something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. People can do stuff for you and you owe them, Jesus. You owe them blessing. Like if I do something for you, then all of a sudden you got to hook me up. With blessing, you got to bless me. There is this economy to a relationship with God where I can do something for God and then he is now on the hook to do something back for me. And of course, you know, if there is this economy, then some people are, you know, at the top of the ladder and some people are at the bottom. And I guess Mary would be at the top because, you know, you can only give birth to Jesus once. So I guess she's at the top of the ladder and then everybody else is fighting for second place or whatever. But you got to admit, Jesus, you owe her, right? Now, before we tear this thing down, I, I want to ask a question. And I want to invite you to be honest and actually physically vocal about this. Because there's somebody sitting in this room who might be afraid that they're the only person that's ever felt this way in their entire life. And the best thing that you could do for them as part of the family of God is to vocalize the fact that they're not a freak. They're not alone. Everybody's felt this. So here's my question. Have you ever felt like, I did something for Jesus. Now, he probably owes me. Thank you. Has anybody ever felt like if I do this thing for Jesus, then he's on the hook to hook me up. And now I feel comfortable to ask him for something. Have you waited to ask Jesus for something until you did something for him before? Has anybody done that? Or am I the only one? This is a really important thing. It's a really insidious thought. And if believed and uninvestigated and uninspected, it could really, really screw with your idea of what it means to know Jesus. So we got to deal with this. First of all, no, no, no. Jesus doesn't know anybody anything. Remember what we just sang? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and to him is everything. Jesus doesn't owe anybody anything. First of all, that's thing number one. Jesus doesn't owe me. Jesus doesn't owe you. Jesus doesn't owe us anything, and here's where an amen belongs, and still he gave us everything. 
He doesn't owe anybody anything. He created the world. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything belongs to him. And yet he gave himself for free. He gave himself to you. He gave himself for me. He gave his blood, his life, his energy, everything, his very heart and self. He doesn't owe anybody. He didn't have to hook anybody up based on what they do for him. That is not the way this works. Your, this is important. Your relationship with God is not a business transaction where you pay in and then he has to give you something, okay? That's super duper important. No, the truth is we owe everything to him. If he asks us for something, we owe it. We owe him our praise. We owe him our life. We owe him our energy. We owe him our heart. We owe him, our fr- we owe him everything. And he's given us everything of himself. That's super duper key. So I'm really interested. And if you haven't looked at Luke chapter 11 in a while, I wonder how you think this is going to go. How's Jesus going to answer this lady? Blessed is the woman who gave birth to you and who nursed you. You owe her, Jesus. I feel like this is, might be a great time for Jesus to deploy that awesome story that he told one time about the, remember the, worker, the, the workers in the vineyard where the guy owns a vineyard and he hires some of them at 8 a.m. and he tells them he's going to pay them a certain amount of money and they come in and work and then some come in, hire some more at like 11, right before lunch. He hires some after lunch. He even hires some an hour before quitting time. And so the ones that got hired first, they're standing in line to get their money and they think, you know what? They hear that those guys that got hired last, that only worked an hour, that they got the amount that they were promised. And so they were like, I wonder what I'm going to get. I mean, I'm probably going to get like a lot, a lot. And by the time they got up there, they got the same exact thing. And they're like, wait a minute. We toiled under the, the heat of the sun all day. They only worked an hour. And Jesus said, are you upset because I do what I want with my own money? Um, and so I think like this would be a great time for Jesus to deploy that story. He could say, I don't know anybody anything. Actually, everything that you get in the kingdom of God is just a gift of grace. This would be a great time for Jesus to go ahead and pull out the story of the prodigal son. You run away, you blow the whole thing, you make a giant mess, you come back, there's no, there's no punishment, there's no penalty, there's no parole. You just get a party thrown. And you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't happen until Luke chapter 15. What's he going to say? Okay, let's look at it. We've messed around long enough. Luke chapter 11, verse 27, as Jesus was saying these things, this is where he's saying the whole thing about the strong man and the stronger man, and I'm here to plunder the devil's house, and you're like, get him, Jesus. Um, It says this, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, blessed rather, and that word rather is his way of saying, no, 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 instead this. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Huh. You know that thing in the prices of, Price of Right where they take the, where like Jim Hines plays the trumpet part, but instead of the main theme, it goes, like somebody like screws up the game and it goes, burm, 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 burm. <laughs> like the first time I read this, I was like, that's where we need the Price is Right trumpet. Burm, 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 burm. Like what? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. It almost sounds like you're saying the same thing. Does anybody feel like it almost sounds like he's saying the same thing? This is weird. There was a part of me that when I read this, I thought, no, Jesus, the the parable of the workers in the vineyard, bro. Or the uh, prodigal son. Or like, you know, there's some other ones. Or this might be a great time to tag in the Apostle Paul. Like, you know, there's that thing in Romans chapter 4 where Paul's talking about how 
how your relationship with Jesus is just a gift of grace. He starts chapter four and says, what then shall we say Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If Abraham like did a bunch of stuff and obeyed a bunch of rules to get justified, then he would have something to boast about. But he doesn't have anything to boast about before God because what does the scripture say? Abraham just believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, who you know, follows a bunch of rules and obeys a bunch of teachings, to the one who works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. But to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. In other words, what Paul's saying is, your relationship with God is not a business transaction where you put in work and you get a paycheck. The first job I ever had was the old school Dunkin' Donuts, which um, some of y'all may remember from the 90s. Um, it, after we ran it into the ground. And then, like, um, then they made it into, uh, uh, it, was, it was like an enterprise rent-a-car for a second. And then it was one of those places where you can take like the title of your car and they'll give you some cash. It's like really weird stuff. But I used to work there with Dr. Garfield Adams, the illustrious principal of the Oak Ridge High School, back way before he was Dr. Garfield Adams. And we were just, you know, slinging donuts and coffee. And, but when I got my first paycheck, I took that whole thing down to Ciderville Music on Clinton Highway and I bought my second bass guitar because I do what I want with my money. You're like, your second one? Why'd you need two? That's none of your business. I earned that money. I poured those coffees. I handed out those donuts. I can do what I want with it because when you get a paycheck after you worked, they owe you. They're on the hook for that. And Paul said, that's not what your relationship with God is. It's not uh, somebody that earns something from working. It's just a gift. It's not your first job. It's your birthday party. You're on that birthday behavior here, baby. You just get a present. You just get a gift. That's what this is. And I'm thinking, why didn't Jesus tag in Paul and talk about it being a gift? He said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Okay. Now, if, and I'm almost done, I promise. If, like me, you kind of read this and you're confused and you feel like this sounds, it doesn't sound like the good news of the gospel of grace. It sounds like the bad news of, of earning something or whatever. Um, I would suggest that we may have all been victims of bad advertising, of bad marketing, bad PR. In two places in this verse. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Place number one. We have been kind of told that in our Christian culture, at least I know I was, that the word blessed means prosperous. The word blessed means hooked up. Anybody ever felt like that? That's what blessing means. Blessing means I have money, I have less problem, I have less pain, I have less suffering, I have fewer bad circumstances and situations. All the hard things get cleaned up and I'm sailing and downhill into the good times. That's what blessing means in our culture. Hashtag blessed, too blessed to be stressed, better than the rest. That's what people mean when they say blessing. That's not what this word means. The word blessed and the word prosperous are not next to each other in Jesus' thesaurus. This word literally means happy. Happy. Jesus said, happy are the people who hear the word of God and obey it. Okay, so... What's going on? I think we might be victims of bad marketing in one other place. To obey God, what I always thought was, that's where fun ends. That's where lame begins. That's where killjoy happens. And that's where parties cease. To obey God, whatever God wants me to do, that's when all of a sudden it's going to suck. Like, that's what, that's what that means. So when I first read this verse, I'm like, great. 
You're prosperous if you just have a really lame life and all the joy has gone from it. That's like the first thing that happens inside my brain when I read this. But what Jesus actually said is, hey, if you want to be happy, you ought to look at what God prescribes for life. That's what this means. That's what these words mean. I'm not saying you're going to be rich. In fact, Jesus is like, you know what? Rich and happy aren't even in the same thesaurus page in Jesus. But he said, woe to you who are rich. Be careful. Good luck with that needle's eye thing. Like, it's, it's a whole different thing. It's not about being rich. It's not about not suffering. We are promised suffering. Amen? That's in the scriptures. He straight up promises it. It's not about less pain. It's not about less problems. It's not about less confusion. Happy is something different. There is a happy that happens in suffering. There's a, happy, there's a happy that happens in poverty. There's a happy that happens in hard times. Can anybody testify that that's their experience? God says, I've got some stuff for your life. It's stuff like you should forgive people. Because if you don't, you're going to be miserable. Not because I want you to follow my rules. Not because I want to kill your joy. But because bitterness is killing you. You should give your heart to me. Because when you give your heart to other stuff, other stuff will steal it. I'll give it back to you a hundredfold. You should give your heart to worship. Because if you don't, you'll care about other stuff too much. And if you give it to me and worship, you're going to get full in ways you can't get it anywhere else. Is there anybody that can testify that any of this stuff is true? Jesus said, happy are those who realize that I have entered into a relationship of a total free gift. It's my birthday. I've opened a present. I didn't earn it. God doesn't owe me anything. He's given me himself and everything. And here's what I've found. When I give myself back to him, I'm happier than any other way. And can anybody testify that they found that to be true? The ways of God are the highway to happy town, y'all. Every other way is the way to confusion, it's the way to bitterness, it's a way to, it's a way to frustration. And I have found that so many times, and I continue to find it out. When I continue to ignore his ways, to obey God is not to earn points, it's not to make him happy with you, this is to make you happy. That's what Jesus is saying. God's ways are to make you happy. It's a whole different kind of math. He gave you everything for free. Now, figure out what it means to enjoy something. That's what's happening here. It's a sweet thing. It's a thing that I'm trying to enter into. It's, it, and it's a thing that I would say this for you this week. What I would say is, um, and I think this is a difficult thing to do. So um, enter into this, be warned, okay? Step one this week, um, get yourself to a quiet place. And I don't think it'll take that long, if we're honest. And ask Jesus, hey, what's that one thing that you've been like all week that you want me to work on, that you want me to change? There's probably some little thing that he's like knocking on the back of your head. Some of you like, do you already know what it is? Do you already kind of know what it is? Maybe in a certain relationship, maybe a certain behavior, maybe it's a certain attitude. There's just one little thing that the Spirit of God has been saying to you, hey, I want in that room. And it's not because you're in trouble. It's not because, like, I don't accept you or anything like that. That's been totally free. It's because I want you to be happier than you are. And so what I would say is, open yourself up to ask him what that what one little thing is. What's one little thing that you want me to change, Lord? And give it to him this week and see what happens.
Just run that experiment. I'm going to do the same thing. In fact, I did it last week, and it's been pretty cool. And so let's talk about it. If you don't know how to figure that out, let's talk about it. If you don't know how to pray through that, let's talk about it. If you don't know how to make the change, find somebody that you love and trust in this room and ask them about it. We'd love to walk each other through this week. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks for this morning and for the chance to be together to sing to you. And I pray that you would help us not to be afraid of your authoritative, (laughs) clear, commanding words. You know what you're talking about because you made this world and you made our hearts. You made us. Help us not to be afraid to face the fact that there may be something that you're encouraging us to look at and to change, but it's not because we're in trouble and it's not because we're not accepted, but it may be because we're not happy enough. And maybe you want us to step into a little bit more happiness this week. Thank you so much for giving us the free gift of your grace. And thank you so much for giving us just signposts to follow into our own gladness. We love you and thank you. It's in your name we pray. When I needed rescue out of deep, deep waters, there you were. When I called out to you,
Be